it's Shelly Wade, and welcome back to Sports Talk with Devin Wade. As promised, joined now by Moiska Ben DeBauer, a noted baseball writer and a guy who has uh, been uh, probably at 90% of the Astros games. Am I guessing high on that? No, I think you're actually there. That's dedication, that's hard work, and that's uh, being good at your job. Well, you know what? I went back and I listened to your predictions the last time you were here, which was about a month ago, maybe, maybe around a month ago, a little bit more than a month ago. And you were spot on. You talked about the three-headed monster that was racing for two spots with uh, Tampa Bay, Minnesota, and Cleveland. And you kind of gave Minnesota the edge. You didn't think Tampa Bay was there, but you weren't quite sure. How do you feel about your predictions? You were just about right. I'm surprised that Cleveland fell back the way they did. Look, I think if you take a a 20,000-foot view, the two biggest disappointments in baseball this season – are the two teams who played the 2016 World Series, and that's Cleveland and the Cubs. Uh, way too much talent, way too much infrastructure to be where they are now, and that's watching the postseason with the rest of us. I get that Cleveland moved off of Trevor Bauer midseason. I get that they had injury issues with their starting pitching, but they still had a lot of talent. They still had a lot of pitching. They still did things that, that were indicative of a team that had the ability to do better than they did. And, and, I, and I get that Minnesota had a year that no one expected. I mean, people thought they would be better. To lead the majors on home runs with 307 was unexpected, but Cleveland's a huge disappointment. So when you kind of go back to your question about my prediction, looking at Cleveland, looking at Oakland, and looking at Tampa, I thought Cleveland is the most talented team in that, that, that trio. I'm a little bit surprised they did not make the postseason. You talked about the Cubs being a disappointment. Joe Madden gone. What happened to the Cubs? I mean, this came kind of out of nowhere for a lot of people, and it certainly seemed to surprise the brass in Chicago. What happened to, to the Cubs down the stretch? Uh, you can't count your chickens before they hatch. I think the assumption was that the Cubs would be like the Astros, and they won that World Series, and it was going to be two, three, four years of winning 100 games in a row. And that didn't materialize. Look, I think they're dealing there with some external pressures and maybe internal pressures that are a little bit ratcheted up compared to what Houston has going on here. It's the Cubs. But, again, a lot of talent, a lot of that pitching underperformed, a lot of that offensive talent underperformed in key spots for them. And when when they came down to it, they had the season on their home field against St. Louis and got swept in a four-game series. To me, that's a lot more in between the ears than anything else when as poorly as they played for long stretches of the season, they still were very much in position to win that division and lay down and let St. Louis roll them at home. I'm not a big believer in blaming the manager for everything, but it seemed like Joe Madden's time there had run its course in terms of connecting with those players and making the most out of the situation, and I don't blame them for moving on. What's interesting to me is they talked about moving on from some of their key players. That's really intriguing, particularly if a guy like Chris Bryant, who is on a 27 who's a rookie of the year, who's the MVP, is available because people thought he didn't perform well in the clutch for them this season. If he's on the market, that changes the dynamic for a lot of different teams out there. Will they go with Ross as, uh, I mean, that's the sort of the hot name. Is that something that may happen for them? Or is that, so is it too premature to know which direction they will go? I don't know if it's too premature. I think it would be a mistake to give a first-time manager like David Ross that job. 
and I get that Aaron Boone had success has had success with the Yankees. I get that Alex Cora has won a World Series in his first season with the Red Sox. I think those guys probably were better prepared to win than David Ross would be going into that situation with the Cubs. But obviously you can make an argument that it's equitable, that it's going to be essentially the same. I would like to see somebody who, not necessarily in Madden's mold, but can connect with players who have experience take that job. Because again, if they don't move off of their roster, that's a really, really good team. And maybe some things just need to be tweaked and changed a little bit to kind of get them going back in the right direction. But I don't believe that squad needs wholesale changes, and I think the right manager would get them back to where they need to be, and that's among the best teams in the National League. Well, yeah, it seems like the dominoes are falling, and I want to get to that a little bit. But it is a difficult thing if you're a city like Chicago and the Cub fans to make that. It's no easy way to make a break from a guy that took you to a World Series championship. I mean, I, I sort of equated to Rudy T. You know, it was it, it was hard to kind of make that move because he, the city owed him so much. It, it was a tough, tough thing, and I, I guess I mean it had to be done. But it, it's hard when somebody does so much for your your city, and then you know it's time to move on, like you said. Now with him leaving, did, how much did that play into Brad Osmus being let go by the Angels after one year? I think it played a lot into it. Like you know, the, the scuttlebutt is that you know Matt has a home in Orange County. He's been out there before previously. He was, I think, interim manager right before they hired Mike, uh, Mike Sosha. It seems like a good fit. I don't know what motivation other than being in that spot would, would push Madden to that role. That Angels roster, they have not been able to get that thing right for years. Their pitching is always terrible or injured or both. They can't find the right combination of players to put around. Obviously, the best player in the game are Mike Trout. And they've been spinning the wheels for many, many years. Look, look, as someone who's watched a ton of Astro games over the years, obviously, being in that ballpark, and who's seen every game that Mike Trout has played here for the Angels and can recognize his greatness is beyond anybody else playing right now, it's a shame how infrequently he's been in the postseason. It's a shame how much they squandered an opportunity to, to kind of showcase him to the rest of the nation. I don't know who the right manager is that's going to get them over the hump. I think, again, it's really more of a front office issue. They got to get better players in there, and they got to hit on the right players to put around Trout. They got to get players, pitchers who aren't injury prone. They got to find a better way to build that roster to suit whoever's going to manage from the dugout. And it looks like it's going to be Madden. He should do a fine job there. That's a tough division to go into right now. When you look at what Astros are, when you look at what Oakland is. At best, the Angels are going to be the third best team in that division. Now, I want to go to the other coast and talk about Boston. Of course, Boston, always high expectations. Now, they have a couple of decisions to make. Mookie Betts is one of them. Uh, I mean, a lot of people say he's number two to Mike Trout as sort of the best, second-best baseball player in the game. What, what do you say about the Boston Red Sox, Mookie Betts, and his future in Boston? I don't understand the argument of Betts or J.D. Martinez. Look, if if they're going to worry that much about salary, that's fine. I get that. But if that's a discussion, then there is no discussion. A a quality right fielder, a younger player, a dynamic bat, a fantastic base runner has way more value than a 30-something designated hitter. And, And I don't get how we've gotten to the points where this is even a discussion or a debate or someone's weighing these two. Like Mookie Betts, is far more valuable to them moving forward than what J.D. Martinez would be. And it's odd to me that this is even being discussed. It's odd to me that a team with the revenue streams of Boston is talking about pairing payroll. I get it. 
like, you know, they won a World Series and they flamed out the season. They're like Chicago. Maybe they're the third most disappointing team in the majors this season. They flamed out, and you want to make some changes to see if you can get the right combination of personnel in there. I'm not sure pairing payroll does that, and I'm certainly not sure that getting rid of Mookie Betts, who could be a central figure for your team for years to come, makes any sense whatsoever. So let's get to the teams that did have success, that are having success. Let's talk about the NL playoffs. Uh, let's go ahead and go straight into your forecast. Huh? I mean, obviously it's Dodgers. It's the Dodgers. I mean, everybody knows it's Dodgers-Astros, and it's a three-peat for the Dodgers in the National League. Again, that's just on paper. But what could get in the way? What team could get in the way of the Dodgers getting back to the World Series in the National League? I don't see it. To be honest with you, like, look, it's a postseason. Anything can happen. But they are so good top to bottom. Um, the power in that lineup, the ability to put the ball in play, their pitching, starting pitching depth, their bullpen has been an issue, but they have so much depth in their starting pitching, so much power in their starting pitching, and their offensive prowess can cover up a lot of those warts. I'm a notorious Braves fan. I think the Nationals obviously have the starting pitching to compete. The Brewers are very plucky. St. Louis has a solid roster they've built this season in Jack Clarity. There is developing to an extraordinary ace for them in the second half of the season. Top to bottom, 25-man roster, no one in the National League competes with the Dodgers. And, and that's just a fact. And I realize that every year the best team doesn't win. And I realize that 106 wins in the regular season doesn't guarantee you anything. But to me, they are far and away the best team in the National League. Much better than anybody can say about the Astros in the American League compared to the Yankees and the Twins and the A's and the Rays. They're just that much better, the Dodgers, than anybody else in that league. And it would be a supreme surprise to see them lose before they get back to the World Series. I'd be, I'd be shocked if they didn't get a third straight pennant. Now, I know how hard it is in football to do what the Buffalo Bills did, go to four straight Super Bowls. To me, if they get to a third straight World Series, it's almost even more remarkable. It's so hard in baseball. The seasons are so long, and it just doesn't seem to happen for, for teams to keep going back over and over. I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe I don't have the historical perspective at this moment because, I mean, I grew up baseball guy, but how hard is it mentally for the Dodgers to do what they've been doing? I think the mental challenge will be the fact that they've lost twice before. Like, the Yankees won three straight World Series at the end of last millennium. You know, it can't obviously be done. And if you're very good, you can do it. They've won seven consecutive division championships. So it's not out of the realm of possibility for the Dodgers to win a third straight and open it. The obstacle for them is the mentality of we've lost twice before. And I don't think that's going to affect them very much in a national league. I just don't see anybody in this league good enough to beat them four times in seven games. The challenge for them would be getting to the World Series and facing the Astros again or facing the Yankees who are obviously loaded offensively, that would be the, the, the sticking point. I think what people forget about 2017 is that they have to mismanage their bullpen for so long that by the time they got to the end of the World Series, those guys were gassed. They have to get more from their starting pitching this time in the postseason. Therefore, that much weight isn't on their bullpen to carry them game after game after game. I think with Ryu and Kershaw and Bueller in particular, they have the arms capable of doing that. There's no reason to me, unless something miraculous happens injury-wise, that they can't win an NL pennant again. And to get back to your point, then they have to overcome the middle hurdle of, of facing a third consecutive World Series loss because you know it's going to be the back of everyone's mind. Now all of this stuff was appetizers. Let's get to the main course. I've just been biding <laughs> my time to talk about the Astros. Hey, man, I'm I'm – 
over the moment, I am really excited. And this time, it's different. Because, again, last time when they won it all, they weren't expected to. I, well, I thought that they would lose to Cleveland. I didn't think that they would go the route that they ended up going. It seemed like the city was late to get on that bandwagon. But this time, over the last couple of years, this is, of course, a baseball town now. Uh, let's talk about the best matchup for them on Friday. I think the best matchup for them is the Rays. Look, they won a season series against Oakland. They had a much more positive run differential than people want to admit to. Everyone's fixated on the fact that Oakland won six of the last eight meetings between the teams, and that has some merit. That that has some value. I think there's also value in it for Oakland and that they've played the Astros 19 times this year. I don't think anybody's intimidated at this stage, but I think having that in your back pocket, the familiarity of playing a team that many times, it lessens any sort of awe you may have going into a, a five-game series. Based on that, I think the Rays would be the best-case scenario for the Astros right now. Granted, they've had their issues in the past with, with Blake Snell or Ryan Yarbrough, and they haven't won a season series against the Rays in like 12 years. So they struggle year after year beating this team. I just think if you put them in a series against Tampa Bay, their odds of winning that series are far better than winning a series against Oakland, even though I would, I would, I would obviously pick them to win both series. I think the better chance for them is to get through Tampa Bay in a shorter series than have to deal with the team in Oakland. They've had success, moderate success against late, and they've played an awful lot of times in the last few years. Well, what about for the Yankees? Uh, can Minnesota outslug them? I mean, there's going to be a lot of home runs both either way. I don't believe in Minnesota's pitching. I, I just don't. I think they're starting pitching as a whole. is the hole in their roster. And as good as they've hit the ball this season, that's a regular season. They've They've struggled historically against the Yankees in the postseason. I don't see them really having um, the pitching to, to suppress that Yankees offense, which is incredible, obviously. And to an extent, the Yankees are the inverse of the Dodgers pitching a lot. Their bullpen is tremendous. Their starting pitching is suspect. How much can they get out of their starting pitching to get them to the bullpen? If they can get that, enough starting pitching to where the bullpen is intact, they're going to blow through Minnesota. And I think they're going to give whoever wins that other LDS series a handful in the American League Championship Series. So will the Astros face a scenario in which they'll have to use a fourth starter, or will they, or can they get through with the three starters? I think the best-case scenario, obviously, is to sweep the first round. The longer you can delay having to use either Jose Ocrivi or Wade Miley as a fourth starter, the better. I don't think they want to put Justin Verlander or Garrett Cole in any sort of situation where they're pushing them to start that game four in the ALCS if they get that far. Ideally, they win the first series in three games. Ideally, they're leading that second series two games to one, and they're in a position to where they don't have to push themselves to do something crazy. But it's going to come at some point, they're going to need one of those guys to step up and deliver them a solid start. The, the thing is this. Cole and Verlander have been so extraordinary that it makes everything else pale in comparison. And then Greinke has been a little bit inconsistent, obviously, in his time with the Astros, but we know what he's capable of doing. And we know what the best of that Granky looks like. If those three guys are giving them what they expect, that's more than enough. Their bullpen is deep enough. Their offense, obviously, is one of the best in the league, one of the best historically. When you look at you know runs created, the way that runs created, I think they have more than enough to not worry too much about who their fourth starter is. But that means everybody else is going to do their job to the best of their ability. So good check time. Let's your predictions. World, give me the World Series. Who's going to be in it? 
it's funny to kind of go back to something you said earlier. These things are difficult for me because I think I feel like I watch so much baseball that I can make arguments to everybody in my mind and they're constantly rolling over. My point that you were making earlier, I picked Cleveland to win the American League two years ago and they lost to the Yankees and I turned the entire postseason around opening the door for the, the Astros to have home field advantage in the ALCS to win that series and then to beat a, a Dodgers team they were even matched up again. The best two teams are the Astros and the Dodgers. I think everyone would love to see a rematch of that World Series from two seasons ago, and I would not be surprised to see that. Again, I think that the weakness of the Yankees is starting pitching. I think the weakness of Oakland is their starting pitching consistency. I think the Astros have that in spades. I think their bullpen has been unfairly maligned because it's very, very good, and their offense obviously is very, very good as well. I think the Astros win the American League pennant. I think the Dodgers win the National League pennant. I think we have a rematch in a 2017 World Series. Before I let you go, and and I, 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 we're gonna find, we'll follow this now. Let's see if you're the jinx because you maybe you were the jinx for Cleveland, <laughs> All right? I <laughs> mean, maybe just one. Oh, uh, now nah, let's go to the postseason awards. I told you uh, when we had it we, before we started. Hey, you are uh, the judge, jury, and executioner. Who's the Cy Young winner? Gary Cole, Justin Verlander in the American League. I don't know how you pick. I really don't like. I can't sit here and honestly say that one deserves it over the other. They are equally deserving, and there's no way there's going to be a split vote. That that would almost take some sort of collusion for that to happen. Honestly, at this point, Garrett Cole has not lost a start since May the 27th. As good as Justin Verlander has been, Garrett Cole, to me, has been a smidgen better over the second half of the season. And if you're holding a gun in my head, I think you give it to Garrett Cole, which to me is a crime. Because Justin Verlander has one Cy Young, he could very easily have three or four. And to see him lose a third one in a span of, what, four years, when he's been second, that would be just so bizarre to me, considering how great he was this season. Does that make him a sentimental favorite? Or I, is there such that, a thing? I, I, I think that may be the edge he has, because people may take that step back and look at it like, man, he finished second to Blake Snow last year. He finished second to Rick Porcello three years ago. He's won it once, and you think it kind of gets into that whole Kobe Bryant only winning one MVP award in, in hindsight. Like, how does that happen? How does Justin Verlander, as great as he's been, have only one Cy Young award? And that may play a role in how this thing is played out. But man, Garrett Cole has been—he won an ERA title, he won a strikeout title. He hasn't lost since May. He's been phenomenal this season, and I would hate to see a guy who pitched to that level of excellence for as long as he did not be rewarded with the American League Starting Award. Maybe they can go in the clubhouse and cut it in half. How about cut that? it in half, right? <laughs> yeah. An MVP race, in, in, and actually in both leagues, uh, MVP, I, National League, and, and American League. I think the only argument for Alex Bregman is that he's played more games than, than Mike Trout. Look, I know people that have tried to develop that momentum in the past three weeks, and they've kind of leaned on some counting stats because Alex Bregman has caught up to Trout in a couple of categories because Trout has not played. Since September 27th, the best player in the American League this season was Mike Trout. The most valuable player in the league should be Mike Trout, and Alex Bregman should be second. Now, if the narrative has changed things enough to where Bregman wins, then I'm not going to be surprised by that. But I don't think the argument for Bregman is very solid beyond he played more games, period. I think in the National League, it's going to be um, Bellinger. Again, and it's kind of the same argument. You know, Bellinger and Yelich were kind of going back and forth for a long, long time. I think you could have flipped the coin between those two. Yelich missing the last two weeks of the season gives Bellinger the edge he needs to win an MVP award. I think they're both very deserving. I would give it to, to Bellinger at the stage.
Hey, man, well, thanks so much, and we'll keep an eye out. And uh, we'll visit with you either way. If it's Astros or not Astros, we'll visit with you. I'll try to visit with you before the World Series. Sounds good, Dad. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much. That's MK Bauer joining us inside of this edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Now it's time for a segment that we call the Lamont Award. I don't want to wish you no bad luck, but I hope your ship sinks. With no lifeboats and no life preservers and a school of piranhas surrounding you, you big dummy. Now the Lamont Award goes to the person that we deem as the big dummy of the episode. That person can be an athlete in or around the world of sports. It kind of doesn't matter. We just find these things and we they need recognition for their level of stupidity. Now this time out, Nathan Collier a 33-year-old walking beer vendor at Miami's Hard Rock Stadium. He walked around Sunday for Miami versus the uh, Los Angeles Chargers game. So he walks around and he sells his beer. I'm sure a number of cash transactions, but now, of course, these days, they swipe. And now we all know that, or maybe you don't know, but I know definitely that uh, stadium beer is expensive, really expensive. And maybe if you've had a few and you're into the game and your team is really winning big or losing big or you're covering the spread, whatever the case may be, maybe you're not as aware of the price as you would be if you were uh, Sunday school sober. I don't know. Or you maybe you know maybe you are drunk and meticulous. I, I don't. Maybe you're the exception to the rule. But nonetheless, he charged the customer for two beers. And expensive though it may be, it should not have cost $724. Well, that's exactly what he did. What he did was he took out his personal card reader, swiped it. Now, all of these, this is allegedly. So put allegedly in front of all of this. He allegedly used his personal card reader and swiped the card and kept working. You know, he made us $724 and kept slinging beer. The problem is the customer wasn't drunk enough and he had a mobile banking app that notified him and even provided Collier's name. Collier was subsequently arrested and fired from his job. He faces third degree grand theft and possession of a skimmer device. He's being held on $10,000 bond. Now there's several morals to the story. Now some people play drunk but ain't drunk. Technology is a blessing and a curse, and only strip clubs, massage parlors, and businesses of the same ilk can get away with such shenanigans. But Nathaniel Collier, for being greedy, charging $724 for two beers, you are a big dummy. You big dummy. <laughs> yeah, you know, greed will get you every time. If he would have hit him for $54, no harm, no foul. He may not even pay attention. But then again, with the mobile app, hey, he was caught before he got started. Shame on him. Man, stop stealing from drunk people. I've been a drunk person. That's, that's not cool. It's not cool at all. But nonetheless, with that, before I let go. Before I let go. Before I let go, hey, want to thank you guys. Want to thank our new sponsor, $5JewelryParadise.com. Man, I am going on there, and I'm going to buy some things. And I'm, I'll give away some things. But I want you to go on board, check them out. Want to thank those wonderful folks at $5JewelryParadise.com for coming aboard. Of course, Go Bank Homes. Want to thank our guest, well, Biscuit. He's kind of a resident. He's a special teams unit member, so no big kudos for that. No, seriously, I certainly appreciate him. 
and Moist Kapinda Bauer. Love talking baseball. Could talk baseball more if uh, you guys want to hear more. We'll get him on again before the World Series. But before we get out of here, I want to remind you guys to go to wadeswordproductions.com. Give us a call at 832-941-6614. That's 832-941-6614. And, of course, subscribe on the Wadesword Productions website and, of course, on social media Wade's Word on Twitter at Wade's Word on Twitter and the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and group on Facebook. We hope to come to you Thursday if I'm not traveling. So with that, want to continue to acknowledge National Breast Cancer Awareness Month and going to play the remainder of a song we started a little bit earlier, Sweeter by Terry Donald, who was inspired by her own battle and victory over breast cancer. Hey, and as always, have a great day. Father, every day is sweeter than the day I opened up my heart and you came in. My mind and soul are free to accept those things that you have for me and live.